Okay, 1 Samuel chapter number 12. 1 Samuel chapter number 12. Most of you know, of course, it's been referenced a few times tonight, I think, that there's something going out on this field out there. And they should be finishing up, uh, should actually be inside tonight. Of course, your very own John Pound is going to be preaching tonight. And uh, I mentioned this before, but John is in training. He's actually uh, been traveling this entire semester. He'll be finishing up here in May. And Lord willing, in fall, he'll be taking the, his uh, own Minutemen Evangelistic Team as part of our Minutemen Ministries. And he's kind of launching a new label called Warblitz. Uh, actually, it's a label we shelved for a few years, but he's bringing it back. And uh, uh, he'll be a two-team competition, largely in churches that do not have Christian schools, but uh, it's largely where he'll be ministering. You certainly uh, can pray for him. And uh, so uh, one of, we have uh, four evangelists, and uh, one, of course, is your, uh, your, your own. And it's certainly a blessing to be here and uh, to have somebody from your ministry that is now uh, uh, training in evangelism, youth evangelism. Of course, he's preaching tonight. He'll be preaching tomorrow night over there with the teens. I hope you pray for John. Uh, he uh, preached a, a camp, I think it was fairly recently, and God sent just set revival down in Texas. God's hand is on John. Uh, doesn't mean there's not more growth in all of our lives, but God's hand is on his life. And uh, I have been very encouraged. And uh, let me encourage every one of you, Put John Pound on your prayer list. Pray for him all the time. Uh, he's one of your very own. I believe God has a, a, a purpose for John that is um, a great purpose, and I'm excited about it. And uh, I know each one of you that has ever prayed for John have a part already in his life. And uh, we all know it's a miracle what God's done in John's life. And the teachers really know it's a miracle. <laughs> all the teachers say, hey, they're, I could say, look at me and say, are you sure you got the right guy? Okay, but anyway, uh, the people change. Have you ever noticed that? People do change. Okay, hallelujah. Uh, but I just want to, since John's not in here, I can uh, probably uh, more liberty just to tell you uh, that uh, what God's done in his life has just been enormous. And I know largely it's your prayers and investment in his life. And I know there's good things to come. So, um, uh, I just wanted to mention that. Well, we're, I've got one more message. That's tomorrow night. And I hate to tell you this, but I, I, you should have come tomorrow night because I got the best message for last. Okay, just save the best one for last. So hopefully you'll make it for that one and be ready to go. But tonight, oh boy, I don't know. You're going to probably wish you didn't come because tonight I'm going to deal with really bad sin. Somebody say, well, preacher, you've been dealing with sin all week long, but I'm going to deal with a really bad one tonight. I mean, it's one that probably hits everybody in the room. Boy, it's a tough one. Maybe a few exceptions probably are. With a lot of senior saints out here, some of you probably got this one down. But uh, there's, uh, there's probably hits a lot of us tonight. You say, well, what's the sin tonight? Hang on, here it is. The sin of prayerlessness. The sin of prayerlessness. Now, you might ask yourself, preacher, why is that such a big sin? Now, some people say, well, preacher, it's a big sin because uh, prayerlessness uh, is a disobedience to God. Is that true? Well, yeah, it is. The Bible says pray without ceasing, so certainly uh, that is a sin. To not pray is certainly a sin. By the way, you say, preacher, how can you pray without ceasing? Well, somebody said this years ago. This is not the message, but it's free. I thought I'd give it to you since you came tonight. And that is this, that uh, somebody said years ago, prayer is the breath of dependence. You agree with that? You know, you cannot depend on God without praying. It's impossible. It just is a verbal expression of God, I need you. But if, if prayer is the breath of dependence, then dependence is wordless prayer. So I believe prayer without ceasing is basically depend without ceasing. I believe wordless prayer goes up. You wake up in the morning and be depending on God. Go to bed at night depending on God. Wake up in the middle of the night and be depending on God. And that's a wonderful thing. Kind of talked about that last night. So... Um, Certainly, it's disobedience to God. Prayerlessness, yeah, it's disobedience. But that's not the main reason it's a big sin. Nope, not at all. You say, well, preacher, I know why it's a big sin. Because um, it's kind of an insult to God. 
Well, that is true, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, trust in horses and chariots. What an insult to God when we trust Madison Avenue, the world, to try to do God's work. That's an insult, isn't it? So certainly when uh, we don't pray and we go to pragmatism, uh, that's an insult to God. That certainly makes prayerlessness a sin, but I don't think that's the main reason it's a sin. Hang on, this is rough. The main reason, and you're not going to maybe agree with me, but hopefully by the end of the message you will because I believe it's biblical. The main reason prayerlessness is a sin is because it limits God. It limits God. The Bible says in Psalm 78, verse 41, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Think about the fact that you can limit God. Whoa. Okay, so let's look at text of Scripture here. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse 23. Samuel is speaking. We know they asked for a king. God said, go ahead, I'm displeased, but go ahead and give him a king. God does, uh, gives him a king. He shows his divine displeasure. The people realize they really blew it. And here's what Samuel says. Moreover, as for me, verse 23, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You ever read a verse of scripture and thought it didn't sound right? <laughs> I mean, in our limited, you know, you know what I'd expect the Bible to say? God forbid that I should sin against you in ceasing to pray for you. But it doesn't say that. It says it's a sin against the Lord. Now, why? As I mentioned a moment ago, I believe it's a sin against the Lord because prayerlessness limits God. Now, you say, preacher, what do you mean it limits God? Can't God do anything he wants? Can't God act unilaterally? Well, you have to understand something, friends, that in the Bible, God sets up his own rules. Can I put it that way? For instance, let me give you an example. Uh, When God gave the Great Commission, who did he give it to? He gave it to believers, all believers. Now, I want to ask you a question. When God said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, um, he gave it to us to give the gospel. Did you know that he did not give that job to the angels? Did you know that? He gave it to us. So I want to ask you a question. If we don't do the job, does God have a plan B? And the answer is no. Now, I'd be honest with you. If I was God, and I was going to give the job of evangelizing the world to human beings, I'd have had a plan B. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I thought, I'm pretty sure these guys are going to fumble the football. I'd have had the angels ready. I said, Gabriel, get them ready. Get them ready. But there is no plan B. I don't know where the statistic came from, but I read a statistic that said 98% of all believers will never lead anybody to Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that's probably an American statistic. But if that's the case, let's think, let's think of it this way. I personally believe, I cannot prove this, but I believe it's the spirit of Scripture that every generation God has a plan to win the world, or at least to give the gospel to the entire world. I believe that God has a plan. What happens? Not everybody cooperates. You know, if 98% of the people aren't cooperating, that'd be hard, that'd kind of limit the, the deal, wouldn't it? <laughs> so the gospel clearly gives it to human beings, and I believe that God is not willing that he should perish, so don't you think he has a plan to give the gospel to everybody? Sure he does. But we limit him with unbelief and disobedience. Now that's evangelism, so that brings us to prayer. <laughs> God sets things up, and God always plays by the rules. Have you ever noticed that the devil doesn't play by the rules, but God does? God set it up. You say, how did he set it up? Okay, now think about this for a moment. When he taught, when Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, remember what he said? He said, thy will 
be done on earth. Help me out now as it is in. Okay, got a question for you, and this is not a trick question. Was God's will done in heaven today? Yeah, perfectly. God's will was done. Now, obviously, it's not God's will when people sin. So was God's will done perfectly on earth? And the answer is no. Why not? Now, I'm going to just put it out to you, friends. The responsibility to get God's will done on earth is our responsibility through, hang on, prayer. Now, listen to this verse. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Did you just hear that verse? It says, if you ask something according to God's will, know you've asked it according to God's will, thus know he heard me. God says you've got it. So know you, know you're praying according to God's will, know you're praying according to God's will, and know you've got it. That's stunning. Now, let's just be honest. Each of us have a different sphere of influence. And in our sphere of influence, I can't pray for everybody on planet Earth. But there are some people that God wants me to pray for. There are people I know you will never know, never pray for until you maybe get to heaven, if they get to heaven. There are people you know I'll never be able to pray for because I don't know them. I don't know their needs. And that's one of the reasons the missionary prayer layers are so important because what they're trying to do is get us an understanding of the battle so that we can enter into the battle and, and pray according to God's will so Satan's will is defeated. So here's what I want you to understand. In this world, there are two wills vying for what happens on planet Earth. You get any idea, guess who those wills are? Let's just, we already know one, God's will. Anybody want to tell you what the other will is? It's Satan's will. Sometimes people, teenagers will say, hey, preacher, I don't want to do Satan's will, and I don't want to do God's will, I'm going to do my will. And you know my answer is, sorry, it's not an option. Because if you're doing your will, you're duped. You're actually doing Satan's will, and he's laughing because you think you're doing your own will. There are only two wills out there, God's and Satan's. Now, don't miss this. Believing prayer defeat Satan's will so God's will will be done. That is the way God set it up. So that means every prayer life in this room is really important. God set it up that way. God set it up that way. And so every one of us, you say, well, what if that verse says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, you have to understand what his name is. His name is talking about his authority. You see, it's like this. Remember when you were a kid? I don't know if this ever happened. Kind of happened to me. I mean, this is a composite story. It's not one, one event, but kind of composite. Uh, you know, imagine, you're, you remember when you were 10 years old, your mom said, uh, uh, help me make dinner. You remember that? You look back, you're like, you weren't helping your mom. She was just trying to teach you. But, you know, she made you think you were big stuff. You remember that? Okay. So you're in the kitchen, you know, helping your mom. And she says, set the table. You set the table. And then she says, oh, go get your brothers and sisters. I had two younger uh, siblings and two older. And he said, go on and get your siblings. Go on and get your brothers and sisters. Time for dinner. Do you remember when you were infused with that authority? You kind of walked out there. Strutted out there, chest out a little bit, came out to that back porch, looked at your brothers and sisters, and said, hey, get in here. It's time to eat. And you know what your brothers and sisters did? I'm telling you exactly what they did, because they did. this is what my brothers and sisters did, and that is nothing. They didn't even act like you were there. 
So you know how it is? You got a little humbled, looked down at your shoes. Then you kind of looked back up and said, hey, mom says it's time for dinner. You are now praying them in mom's name. And you know what? If you had a mom like mine, my brothers and sisters immediately came in. But it was not my authority that got them in there. It was mom's authority. When you and I pray in Jesus' name, you know what we're saying? Jesus wants this. It's his will. And God says, you pray in my name with my authority because I want it, I'm going to do it. Same truth, just packaged a little different, differently. It's the same truth. So understanding what God's will is, when we come into union with God's will, Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. That is why Satan fights prayer like nobody's business. Prayer puts you on the field. Now, most of us are kind of at that point where we really don't want to play athletics anymore. You know what I'm talking about? We're coping with all the injuries when we were a kid. But you remember when you were in high school, did you want to sit the bench? None of us did. We wanted the game. Man, get me in the game. I want to play the game. And we all wanted to get in there. I mean, maybe there's a few in this room that wanted to sit in the bench. Uh, but, uh, uh, but most of us that played a sport, you wanted to get in there. Now, don't miss this. Prayer takes you out of the grandstands and puts you on the field. It puts you in the battle. You say, preacher, I don't know, man. I don't want to fight the devil. I don't want to be on the, on the field. Uh, but uh, Well, let me just simply say that you really don't need to fear Satan because he's a defeated foe. And the truth is, Satan fears you when you know how to come into union with God's will. That's why he wants you to stay in the grandstands. That's why he fights prayer. So have you ever noticed, of all the Christian disciplines, prayer might be the most challenging? That's why. Satan knows when you come into union with the will of God, his will, he can't do it. His will's done. He can't do it. But when you get on the field, I do want to warn you, you will have a target on your back. It reminds me, I don't know if I should use this cartoon because I'm certainly not trying to, uh, uh, to be too light here, but it, you'll remember it. I remember back when I was a kid, there was a cartoonist called Gary Larson who wrote a uh, cartoon called The Far Side. How many remember that? It was so absurd. It was hilarious. You know what I'm talking about? Total absurdity. <laughs> and one of the cartoons, I remember there were two deer out in the field and, and they were talking with one another and one of them had a target on his chest, just painted target on his chest. And the other guy looked over him and said, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just absurd. But you know, the truth is, when you and I begin to get in the prayer battle, guess what? We get a target on our back. But we don't need to fear because Satan's a defeated foe. But I, will, I don't know about you, friend. I'd rather be on the field in the army of God, being a part of what God's doing than sitting on the grandstand just watching it happen. It doesn't matter if you're 95, it doesn't matter if you're 15, you can be a part of the battle. And you ought to be a part of the battle. How many have ever heard of Peggy and Christine Smith? Two intercessors on the island of Lewis off the coast of Scotland. Anybody ever heard of them? Island of Lewis is called Land of Revivals. In the 19, uh, 1900s, they had waves of revival come across that island. Quite a remarkable place. In fact, our president's mother grew up there and immigrated from that island, the land of revivals, to New York City. I don't know if she was a believer or not. It doesn't seem that she was. But she came from a place that was literally just waves of revival came across that island. Peggy and Christine Smith were two elderly, infirmed 
uh, saints who were basically, we call them shut-ins today. I think one was blind, uh, but both were infirmed, could not go to church. And they got extremely burdened. And here's why they get, got burdened. It had been 15 years since a Holy Ghost revival had swept across that island, and it was unthinkable to them that there was a whole generation of young people that grew up without knowing the reviving presence of Jesus Christ. They could not believe a whole generation did not know revival. Isn't that amazing? So they set themselves to pray. One day they called their pastor up and said, Pastor, we need to talk to you. This was 1949. The pastor came over, and the two ladies said, Pastor, we got to tell you, we were praying. We've been praying for months now, pleading with God. And we've got to tell you, we saw the enemy retreating and the lamb take the field. Don't you love that imagery? We saw the enemy retreating and the lamb take the field. And they basically said, revival is coming. Get ready. Make a long story short, an evangelist by the name of Duncan Campbell, who was uh, probably late 50s, early 60s, was called to the island in 1949 for a three-week mission. We called it revival, meaning a three-week mission. He left three years later. Holy Ghost revival swept across, swept across the island of Lewis. Do you know what happened with those two ladies, friends? They got in the field. And they came into union with the will of God. Satan's will was defeated, God's will was done, and they saw the enemy retreating. I, I don't believe they saw it with physical eyes, but with the eye of their soul, they saw the reality of the enemy defeated and, and the lamb take the field. Perhaps these quotes will help us understand that what I'm preaching is really a, it's been a historic position. This is G. Campbell Morgan. Ever heard of him? Prayer is not, first of all, means by which we get something for ourselves. It's rather a method of helping God get something for himself. Isn't that a remarkable thought? How about this? True prayer, Warren Wiersbe, true prayer also involves responsibilities, honoring God's kingdom, doing God's will. It has well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Prayer is not telling God what we want and then selfishly enjoying it. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what he wants so that his name is glorified, his kingdom is extended and strengthened and his will done. I must test all my personal requests by this overruling concerns if I expect God to hear and answer my prayers. You know what prayer is? It's finding the will of God coming into union with it so Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. Well, I don't know about you. When that, that truth burst upon my, it changed my concept of prayer. In other words, prayer is where the real battle is. That's why I appreciated so much what your pastor said this morning about, or this, uh, this evening about prayer. You know, I believe God's working here at OCA. I believe God's convicting. I believe there's a great work coming on. But the battle is going to be won or lost on our knees. That's always where it's won or lost. That's where the battle's won or lost for your wayward kids. That's where the battle's lost for your, your grandkids or right at the time, place of making this critical decisions. That's where the battle's won or lost for your next-door neighbors. You tracking with me? That's where the battle's won or lost for Ocala. That's where the battle's won or lost for our country. That's where the battle is won or lost for anything. It's in the prayer closet. How about this one? S.D. Gordon. I know many of you may not have heard of S.D. Gordon. S.D. Gordon's one of my heroes. He's got a book, Quiet Talks on Prayer. really illumined my heart to what I'm preaching on tonight. I have a special place in my heart for S.D. Gordon because my dear grandmother was a young wife down in Miami, Florida. She had a heart for God in her teenage years, but she kind of got away from the Lord, not like into deep sin, just into materialism and 
and the Roaring Twenties, and they were, uh, she married uh, my grandfather, and he had a good job, and they had money, and they began to buy land, and they began to accumulate things. God sent three waves into life to wipe them out. <laughs> I think it was the 1926 hurricane. I think I got the year right. The next door neighbor's house, they had several properties. Next door's neighbor's house was lifted off its foundation, moved over, boom, right down to my my grandparents' house. My dad was one years old. He was in a door frame. It saved his life. My dad said, you know, he said, I remember that. Even at one years old, he said, I remember that. I remember the rain, the wet, and God saved his life. But all my grandmother's wedding gifts were destroyed. Linens were destroyed. Crystal, all just destroyed, wiped out. Then the Florida land bust. Anybody ever heard of that? They had already started investing land. It was all gone. I, I hate to tell you this, but my, my grandmother and grandfather used to own the land, that part of the land, that the Orange Bowl sits on. <laughs> hey, I used to own that, but we lost it in the Florida land bust. Okay. Um, I just, uh, then, uh, 1929, ever heard of that year? <laughs> so three things just wiped them out. My grandfather became bitter and spent the rest of his life grumbling about what could have been. Boy, that's a terrible way to live. My grandmother figured, you know what? Probably not a good thing to live for things because you can lose them pretty fast. So she decided to begin to live for the eternal. I wouldn't be here tonight if she hadn't. Now to Miami, Florida, every winter, the greatest preachers in America would come. I don't know why they came in the winter, but they did. The great, this is back before air conditioning, okay? And the heating, all that. They, they'd come down there, and one of them was a guy by the name of S.D. Gordon. My grandmother went to hear him preach. And it changed her life. And she set her life to prayer. And I have known very few people who could pray like my grandmother. My grandmother would look in the eye. It was nothing for my grandmother to look in the eye and say, he's going to do it. God's going to do it. You know what? God always did it. I always figured, how does she know? I kind of envisioned a backbone. I mean, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I kind of you know, thought she had, a, she had a special line into the throne room. But I realized now, no, she didn't have a special line. And we all have that line. She had just learned how to pray according to his will and get confidence. God's going to do it. But here's what S.T. Gordon writes. Prayer overcomes him. Talk about Satan. It defeats his plans and himself. He cannot successfully stand before it. He trembles when some man of simple faith in God prayers, prays. Prayer is insistence upon God's will being done. It needs for its practice a man in sympathetic touch with God. Its basis is Jesus' victory. It overcomes the opposing will of the great traitor leader. Whoa, isn't that good stuff? Friends, that's why your prayer life is so important. Because we are praying against the will of Satan. We're praying, God, we want your will done. We don't want Satan's will done. We're praying in your name, your authority. You want it, so if you want it in Jesus' name, we want it too. God is just waiting, this is the way you set it up, for somebody to come into union with his will. Now think about it, friends. There's a lot of things we can come into union with. Is it God's will that Holy Spirit conviction convicts hell-bound sinners? And the answer is yes. Pray for Holy Spirit conviction and expect it. Because he will convict. Now, of course, we've got to be giving the gospel. We're, well, that's what he uses. He uses the sword of the Spirit. But nonetheless, after we give that gospel tract, speak to that word of witness, pray for Holy Spirit conviction and expect it. How about this? Pray against the deception of the enemy. Is the enemy a deceiver? The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
There are people all around Ocala who are going straight to hell. Why? Because they're deceived of Satan. We need to pray against the deception. He's the defeated enemy. And I believe we can pray against it so the deception falls. Why would you reject the gospel? And the answer is, because you're deceived. Why would you reject something that's a gift? Because you're deceived. And if I stood at the door, maybe I'm not going to do this, but if I got your pastor and say, hey, pastor, I won the lottery, uh, which I wouldn't do the lottery. But anyway, I'm just joking. But uh, I, I got a bunch of money I just need to get rid of. Uh, I got a $100 bill. Could I give everybody a $100 bill tonight in the service? So he gets up and announces the preacher, I have a $100 bill as you leave. Now I want to ask you a question. Why would you not take the bill? I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. That preacher's up to something. Yeah, I know what he's done. He's chipped those $100 bills. I'm going to take that home. He's going to listen in. He's going to hear me fight with my wife. He's going to know exactly what's going on. He's going to hear the kids, and he's going to preach on everything happening in my home. I'm not taking that $100 bill. Now, the only reason you wouldn't take the $100 bill is why? Because you're deceived. Why would you reject $100? You see, why do people reject the gospel? Because they're deceived. So there's something we can do, you and I can do. We can pray against the deception of the enemy. You know something else we can pray for? God knows every man breaking point. Do you believe that? If God wants all men to be saved, he knows what it's going to take to get them there. Remember what he said about Sodom and Gomorrah, or uh, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum? He said, if Sodom and Gomorrah had heard, they would have, they would have repented. That means there's people burning in hell. Jesus said, if this would have happened to them, they would have repented. He knows every man's breaking point. It's stunning theology, and it actually, again, kind of tears down Calvinism. Because <laughs> he's talking about people that are in hell. If they had seen this miracle, they would have repented. See? So, uh, but it shows that God knows the breaking point. So you know what prayer is? God, bring them to the breaking point. God, you know what it's going to take. Oh, God, bring them to the breaking point. My friend, you can pray for your children that way that are away from God. You can pray for your next door neighbor. God, you know what they need. God, bring them to the breaking point. Here's my point. You see, prayer is coming to union with God's will. And when that happens, Satan's will's defeated. God's will's done. He says, okay, I'll bring some circumstances in their life. It's a remarkable thing. In fact, there's uh, one statement here by S.D. Gordon, if I can find it here. It's in these notes here, and I... I almost hesitate to read it because it is, it is one of those quotes that, um, if I can find it here, it's kind of stunning. But um, if I can find it, I was reading through it earlier and I, I apologize if I can't. But he basically has the idea there are people in hell that are there, some people in hell, simply because people did not pray. It's really a stunning quote. I really meditated on that. Wow, that's stunning. The sin of prayerlessness limits God. You really believe that? You say, preacher, are you sure this is in the Bible? Of course, we're all the... But let me give you a few examples because I think you'll see that it is in the Bible. And the more you think about it, you say, yeah, I see that. Okay, let's just give you a few examples. Okay, what about Elijah? You remember Elijah? A man of like uh, passions. And the Bible said he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And guess what happened? It didn't rain. Now, why in the world would you pray that it might not rain? And the answer is, because it's raining. Now, why would you have a problem with rain? And the answer is, Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy said, if the children of Israel apostatized, what would happen to the heavens? They would turn as brass. Now, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm reading too much between the lines. I think it's pretty clear what Elijah did. said, God, you've got a problem. Your people have gone after Baal. They have apostatized, and it's still raining. And you know what I believe God said? You know, Elijah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was waiting for somebody to get that. And since you brought that up, it's my will for the heavens to be brass when God's people apostatize. He said, I'll tell you what, it's not going to rain. He came into union with the will of God. Now remember, where is the will of God revealed? And the answer, friend, it is revealed obviously here in the word of God. Here is the book of Deuteronomy telling us. Of course, the spirit of God, if any man lack wisdom, he can give us wisdom as well. You know, not to pray for his yacht, but the spirit there in, in Romans 8 and verse 26 can help as well. But here's the point. Elijah basically said, God, there's a problem here. God said, you're right. So he goes to Mount Carmel. What happens? In fact, in 1 Kings 18.1, he says to, uh, to uh, Elijah, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. So he goes to Mount Carmel. We see the great deliverance. There's a revival. The pe- people turn back to God. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy, what does it say happens if the people turn back to God? And the answer is, it rains. <laughs> So what did Elijah do? Did he go down into the store and get himself an umbrella? Is that what he did? No, God already told him it was going to start raining, so what did he do? He started praying. See, he wasn't passive about it. And what did he get on his knees? Very clear. He said, God, there's revival broke out. God, you said it was going to rain. God, you've got to do it. And he says, servant, go see if it's going to rain. Servant came back. Nope, nothing. God, now you said it. God, it's your promise, God. Now you've got to do what you said you're going to do. Now I'm reading between the lines. But he's praying with God. Comes back, nope, nothing. He did it, I think, seven times. The guy came back and said, well, there's a cloud now. He said, okay, God's answered. Let's go. Do we live that way? <laughs> See, my point is, Elijah, just because he saw, saw it there, okay, yeah, that's principle. He said, I'm claiming it. And I believe prayer is coming in a union with the revealed word of God and saying, God, you've got to do it. It's your will. Now, I've seen some remarkable things happen in my own life. My grandmother, as I mentioned, that knew how to pray. I was in my late 20s. My wife and I had come to the realization that we were going to have a difficult time having children. We had 11 years before Stephanie was born. She was born in 95. She just graduated from college a few months ago. So um, we were um, really burdened about it. And I was down in Florida, and I knew my grandmother was close with my uncle, and I knew she had had Alzheimer's dementia and had gone downhill, but I didn't know how much. But I thought, i got to go see Grandma because i got to get her to pray on this thing. So I called up my uncle and said, can I see Grandma? I said, no. He said, I wouldn't recommend it. He said, Jim, she is a shell of the woman you once knew. He said, I would just encourage you, don't see her. Remember her like she was. She won't remember you. She doesn't remember anybody. She said, there is one thing she can still do. She can still pray, but that's it. He said, now, if you want to see her, I will work it out, but I wouldn't recommend it. I said, no, I got to see Grandma. He said, okay, I warned you. So I showed up, and I was in absolute shock. She was a shell of the woman I once knew. Sat down next to her. It's like I'm sitting to a total stranger. She had no idea who it was. I was just in shock. We ate the meal. Finally, I said, well, I came to get Grandma to pray. I may as well give it a shot. <laughs> so I tried to explain, now, Grandma, I'm your, your grandson, Jim. My dad was Wayne, your oldest son. Tried to help her. I don't know what she got. This is my wife, Rhonda. Uh, it doesn't look like 
doctors have told us we may not have children, and we'd like you to pray for her. I don't know what she got. Didn't seem like she got much. So she bowed her head and prayed. I don't remember a thing about the prayer. Not a thing about the prayer. It didn't impress me because I knew when Grandma could pray. But she prayed. She was done praying. I'll never forget this. She looked up, and you know, God let her come back for a split second. She came back. That twinkle came in her eye. And she looked at me, and she said, you've got it. Wow, you've got it. And my uncle looks at me and says, now, Jim, don't worry about kids. He said, I have never known my mother to say you've got it where God didn't answer. So you can just mark that one off the list. You're going to have kids. Wow. My grandmother went home in 1989. We were married in 84, so five years after we were married. And 1995, Stephanie was born on a rainy night in South Carolina. In 1997, my daughter Jana was born. She's still in college. And then Annalise in 99. She just went to college just last year, and so we're dying. Okay, but anyway, the empty nest, you understand all that. And uh, so... That was 99. In the early 2000s, my uncle, who had taken care of my grandmother to her death in 1989, was a paraplegic. He had a terrible accident when he was in his youth and amazingly lived in, into his 60s, early 70s, which is very unusual for a paraplegic. And he came up north to see us all. He said, pretty much, he said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die in the next little bit. And, um, and he was in good health, but he said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. And he said, I just want to come up and say goodbye. It was a little unusual, but actually he did. He went back and within a few months he died. But he came up to say goodbye, and so we were having some fellowship in time. And I said to my uncle, I said, do you remember when you brought Grandma over? And she prayed that we would have kids. I said, do you remember that? And she said, you got it? He said, yeah, I did. He said, have I ever told you the rest of the story? I said, no, you haven't. He said, when you left, he said, I looked at my mother, and I said, Mom, why did you tell the kids? It's been a long time since somebody called my wife and I the kids. But anyway, I said, why did you tell the kids you've got it? Now, at this point, you have to understand, my grandmother didn't know anybody's name. She'd even forgotten God's name. She'd pray, but she didn't know his name. She'd call him that good fellow. She said, why, why did you tell the kids you've got it? And my, I'm telling the honest truth. My grandmother looked at my uncle and said, one, two, maybe three. You say, how did she know that? Well, I'm going to just tell you this. The body may deteriorate, but I learned something when I heard that. The spirit doesn't. And evidently, somehow, God made it clear to her. What does the Bible say? If any man lack wisdom in the mask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. God can give you wisdom now to pray. All I knew is my grandmother, that was not unusual for her. Specific prayers where she knew this is God's will. He's going to do it. And the Bible says we know not to pray for as we ought. For, uh, you know, we, he knows our infirmities. Know not what to pray for as, as we ought, but the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can evidently lead us clearly to know what the will of God is so we can come into union with prayer so Satan's will is defeated and God's will is done. It's remarkable. I don't understand everything about it. You certainly have to be careful. There's a lot of wildfire today. But just because there's wildfire doesn't mean there's true fire. <laughs> we want obviously that. We don't want the wildfire. So it's always that which is, in, uh, is, is obviously that which is uh, biblical, uh, that uh, God is light and him is no darkness. God puts it together. So... God brings us into union with the will of God. Let me give you one other Bible illustration because I think it's important for us to see this. Daniel. Remember Daniel? Toward the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel starts praying. You know what he starts praying? 
One day he had his Google calendar out and he was flipping through his Google calendar and he, he made a calculation. It's been 70 years. And he remembered his devotions that he had been reading in the book of Jeremiah, which was, by the way, a fairly recent book. He's reading the book of Jeremiah and God had said, after 70 years, you're going to come back to the land. So what did Daniel do? Pack his suitcases? Is that what he did? He started praying. Go and read it. God, did you, you said it here. God, you said it. I mean, he prayed and fasted, and it was a battle. The Bible says there was a spiritual battle in the heavenlies. I don't understand all that. But he prayed, and he wouldn't let go. And you know what I believe God said? Okay, I'm just waiting for somebody to see that. You know, God seeks for an intercessor to stand in the gap. Isn't it amazing the book of Ezekiel, I believe it is, he said, I found how many? None. When God looks down at your next-door neighbor, can he say, I sought for somebody to intercede for that next-door neighbor, but I found none. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> See, every one of us in this room, our prayers are important. Who's going to pray for your next-door neighbor if you don't? Who's going to pray for your coworker? Who's going to pray for your grandkids? You know what I found about praying for kids? Nobody will pray for my kids like me. <laughs> and nobody will pray for your kids like you. No, don't get me wrong. If you've got kids in this Christian school, we this week, God gives a burden, we will pray for your kids. But I guarantee you, we will never be able to pray for your kids like you do. There's just something about it. And I think to myself, what a tragedy when God's people get so caught up, they don't pray for those that are closest to them. Who's going to pray for your spouse? Nobody will pray for your spouse like you. No one will pray for your kids like you, your grandkids like you your nieces, your nephews, etc. You know, the point is that you have different, you have a sphere of influence. And my point is, who's going to pray for them if you don't? Because somebody's got to pray the devil out of the thing. And pray God's will into the thing. And I'm going to tell you, your prayers are important. If you're sitting here thinking, well, what's good is this doing? You're missing the whole point of prayer. Prayer is on the battlefield. Prayer is, is the battle. Prayer is where it's won or lost. And I will tell you, if I've learned anything in 34 and a half years, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a pretty slow learner, and it took me a lot longer to learn than it should have. But if there's anything I've learned in 34 and a half years, it is this. Preaching's great, but that's not where the battle's won or lost. I will tell you, the battle is won or lost in prayer. And I love to preach, and I will tell you, I hope I can preach to the day I die. But I will tell you, friend, if God came to me and said, make a choice, either preach or pray, I would choose praying, even though it is much more challenging. Because that's where the battles won or lost. And that is where we see God convict people. And that is where we see satanic deception push back. That is where we see God bring circumstances into people's lives that brings them to a breaking point so they come back to Jesus or they get saved. That is where our answers to prayer occur. That is, it. That is why the sin of prayerlessness is such a great sin because it limits God. Because that's how he set it up. And there is no plan B. When God says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you know what he's telling you? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You see, anything God tells us to pray for, he's saying, you better do it. In other words, I'm not acting unilaterally. I'm needing God's people to come into union with my name on this thing. And when I do, Satan's will will be defeated. Tonight, friend, the sin of prayerlessness. I'll be honest with you, I think all of us are on a prayer journey. But let me conclude with this. It's about three years ago at our home church, God began to 
do something and burden uh, uh, leadership to take another step, particularly in the area of prayer. And to make a long story extremely short, I've already alluded to this, but there was a challenge made for 21 days to spend an hour with God. Really in the Bible, that's, that is there. Jesus said to the disciples, could you not watch with me? Anybody know the time? One hour. One hour. An hour a day. 21 day challenge, spend 21 days spending an hour with God for 21 days. Many people in our ministry took, uh, took the challenge. Many others outside of our ministry took the challenge because of other circumstances I won't go into. I know teenagers who took the challenge. It's one, one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. It has transformed people's lives. I will tell you the most remarkable discipleship program I have ever seen is challenging somebody to spend an hour with God every day. Because you turn them over to the Holy Spirit, he's a really good discipler. You'd be shocked at how good he is. He shows men problems in their marriage that are their fault. Now you wives are really motivated to get your husband to pray an hour a day. Okay. He shows wives where they're not being respectful. He begins to show them. They begin to spend an hour with God. You know what I begin to notice? Teenagers begin to spend an hour with God. Began to change their life. My last born is just a real huggy little girl, but very not out there, not showy at all, very more private. But one day I was going to have to take her to the airport. We had a special thing she was going to fly to, an orchestra she was going to play in. And I was going to have to leave the trailer at 4 o'clock and take her down to an airport, which would be about an hour away, and she'd fly out. And so I just got up a minute or two before 4, threw on a ball cap, got in the truck, and said, honey, and I told her, I said, honey, you can have your devotions on the way in the truck. Or I said, you can spend, I said, you can, I, I, I never, I've never put not any pressure on her at all as far as spending an hour with God. And I said, honey, if you want to have your hour with God, you can do that while we're in the truck. My 17-year-old daughter looked at me and says, oh, that's all right, Daddy. I got up an hour ago. I've already had my hour with God. Now, I'm telling you, friends, I know college students, 17, 18, 19 years old, we spend an hour with God every day, and their, they, their lives are transformed. We're not talking about checking off the list. We're talking about, like we talked about last night, meeting with God. All I'm simply saying, friends, I believe there's hope for this country because God is still God. The problem is never God. It's not his resources. It's not what he could do. It's the fact that in American Christianity, we've got distracted from the most important thing we could ever do, and that is pray. Because prayer defeats the enemy. Could we say this? It unleashes God. <laughs> I encourage you to take a challenge. I will tell you, I think of a teenager, I made a challenge one time, a teenager came to me and said, hey, preacher, before this week's out, I'm going to take your challenge. I'm going to spend an hour with God. He came back beaming. It's amazing what time with God will do. And basically you say, well, preacher, I sit down, I feel dry, God seems distant. Well, you know what we're talking about, a battle. <laughs> So get in the battle. Say, God, I need you. Like we talked about last night. God, you got to do something. God, I can't go on without you. I guarantee you, you get hungry, he'll show up. He always does. He'll pour water on him that's thirsty. Listen, I will tell you, there are things in your life God will do remarkably if you just start praying. Start seeking the will of God. You say, hey, preacher, I don't know what to pray for. I say, oh, well, if you lack wisdom, ask him. He'll show you. Start. Now, you know, often pray with an open Bible. Many times you'll just pray right across problems. Oh, I can claim that one. 
The Word of God's loaded with His will <laughs> all over the place. Many times when we're in a prayer, a real prayer meeting where there's a battle, we pray with open Bibles. You know why? We want to know His will. It's amazing sometimes the principles that God will be across. I remember years ago and being in a very needy situation, we're in a prayer meeting. One of our girls on the team said, Oh, God, she said, It's time for you to work, for they have made void thy law. <laughs> yeah, it's a, Psalm 119 is one of the verses there in Psalm 119. And I remember as soon as she said it, I thought, You know what? There are a lot of kids in this school that are either not saved or far from God. You know what? I think we can claim that. Lord, it's time for you to work. Before that week was out, I saw one of the most remarkable moves of God I've ever seen. Kids weeping, kids broken, kids broken over people going to hell. And I'm telling you, it, 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 it literally was one of those, a prayer meeting, that a 15-minute prayer meeting, 20-minute prayer meeting that was remarkable because it was all really needy kids. You know what the point was? God showed us his will. It's time for thee to work, Lord. <laughs> they made void thy law. The Bible's loaded with promises like that. And so we just say, Lord, lead me. Show me. Give me wisdom. The sin of prayerlessness. The sin of prayerlessness. Could I ask every head to be bowed?